Thank you, choir, for that encouragement in Christ this morning. Be turning once again to Romans chapter 8 as we work our way through this thick and rich section of God's Word. And we'll read again verses 28 through 30. This is on page 944 in the Pew Bible, 944. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. O Lord, bless to our hearts, equip us, nourish us, build us up, shape us, mold us by your mighty word as your glory is revealed in this passage. We pray this for your honor. Amen. Okay, kiddos, we're in alliteration this morning. Uh, Alliteration means two words that start with the same letter. I believe that's right, uh, alliteration. So... You've got creation continuation, and this is a hard one, hypocritical hyperbole, hyperbole, excuse me, (laughs) can't even pronounce my own statement, hypocritical hyperbole, and then finally, the king's keys, the king's keys. One of the most wonderful views or pictures of anything in my lifetime that unfolded was the view of earth from space to finally see the earth itself, the blue planet, teeming with life because what, 75, 78% of it's covered with water. It was just wonderful to get a view of the whole. And that's really what this passage is, verses 28 through 30. It's backing off and getting a view of the whole beautiful world of our salvation from before time to the end of time, from the time God set his love upon his people and predestined his people to when he in time called them and justified them to the end of time when he will glorify them. The whole world of salvation in these passages, in this passage. And we've dealt with most everything in the passage uh, over the past few weeks, but the last three words or the last three statements I wanted to take together, those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So in setting his love upon us and predestining us, planning, fixing it, for sure that we would 
be brought to him, in time he called us and justified us. And then finally, he glorifies us. So if you take your sheet, you see a a lot of passages. I think it's helpful to have them in front of you so we can uh, look at them and not have to turn from passage to passage. And you can take it home uh, and look at it again. But here we have, notice uh, the word chosen in 1 Peter 2, 9. And I would associate that with he foreknew us, he loved us and predestined us. So same term. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you were chosen and then called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the same calling that Paul is talking about in Romans 8. Already you see that you're a royalty, a royal priesthood at his, as his children. That is a royal character, a character of humility and kindness and love in which Jesus says the greatest will be the least. He said, even the son of man himself, I did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And so we're royal servants of Christ and of one another, a servanthood that knows no limits that will give up its life if necessary. Your royal priesthood. And as a priesthood, you bring one another's needs and the needs of the world to God as holy priests. And we convey by our life and word God's glory to one another and to the world. You're the royal go-betweens, right? You weep and cry and believe God for the needs of others. And you seek to manifest his love and goodness in your family and your neighbors in your co-workers and students in church. We are communicating the excellencies of him who has called us out. So we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And Israel was called a holy nation, separated out to worship the true God in the midst of all other nations that worshiped idols and false gods. And so now Peter says, all who trust in Christ, Jew and Gentile, form the new holy nation. It's not America, okay? (laughs) It's the church of Jesus Christ. That's the holy nation stretching across the whole world through 2,000 years of history, embracing those on earth and in heaven. That's the holy nation. And we're a people for his own possession, called to be intimate with him, called to be his special treasure, his beloved children to whom he gladly gives all things. So you see some of what we're called into, the marvelous light, as a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession. That's the power, effect of his calling. And then in 2 Corinthians, we see kind of the the inside workings of his calling. What happens in our hearts when God calls us to himself and what is necessary for him to call us to himself? Paul says is if if even our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that is Satan, the devil, the enemy, 
has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is one of the most wonderful descriptions of the gospel in all of scripture. There's a light that comes forth from the gospel. What is that light? It's the light of the glory of Christ. That's the light that shines forth, the glory of his humility, the glory of his goodness, the glory of his perfect life, the glory of his resurrection and ascension to heaven, the glory of his rule that all things are under his feet. This shines forth from the gospel. That's what the gospel is. It's about the glory and majesty of Jesus Christ in all of his fullness. And then the phrase, who is the image of God. So everything that shines forth about Christ is really about God himself. Because everything he did on earth, he did to manifest who God really is. This is God. No other description will do. But the God who shows himself in the person of Jesus Christ. God is the kind of God who lays down his life. God is the kind of God who becomes a servant for his subjects. That's who God is. In Christ, you see who God is. The one true God in Christ revealed in the gospel. Now, here's our situation. We're blinded. We're all begin as unbelievers. We're all darkened under the power of the enemy. We're all his subjects apart from Christ. But then he says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How do blind people see? How would any blind person see? Well, we know with Jesus, it, it was a miracle, right? He made the blind see. And with all of us, it's a miracle that we would ever see the glory of Christ. Maybe one day we'll have a medical miracle and blind people will be given sight. Who knows? But it will be just what we said. <laughs> A medical miracle. And this is a medical spiritual miracle. And he uses creation imagery. It's the same power as creation. It's the same creative genius in creation. It's the same majesty in creation. It is a creation continuation in the power that is poured out when we are called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. So we're called out of darkness. What does that mean? We're called out of our blindness. You see, it's not just darkness that surrounds us. It's darkness in us. It's, we can't see. And he calls us by powerfully delivering us. How else could we ever see the beauty of Christ? Did he not shine into our hearts? And the word give is really is not in the text there. So it, it reads like this. He has shown in our lights the light of the knowledge, uh, shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. 
And whereas before it said uh, the glory of Christ is the image of God, he puts it differently. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel about Christ. And many times it's called the gospel of God because it really is the gospel of God. This is the gospel that tells you who God is. It's about him. In Acts 20, 24, it says the gospel of the grace of God. The good news of of who God is. The good news of who he's revealed himself to be in Christ. The good news of the grace of God in this wonderful gospel in which God comes to earth and dies for sinners. And then you just see an incidence of this uh, working in the life of Lydia. Ver, uh, Acts 16, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. She was called out of darkness into light. And you can see he opened her heart to respond. In other words, he shone the glory of Christ into her heart. You see, this, the same event is described in so many ways. And I would like for you to turn with me to hymn 471. Everybody turn. Everybody get your hymnal out. <laughs> it's put so beautifully, this calling in how necessary it was or we would not belong to him. Hymn 471. Tis not that I did choose thee, for Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee hadst thou not chosen me. And I would still be blind, right? Thou from the sin that stained me hast cleansed and set me free. Of old thou hast ordained me that I should live to thee. Love me and predestine me. Of old thou hast ordained me that I should live to thee. Twas sovereign mercy called me and taught my opening mind. The world had else enthralled me to heavenly glories blind. My heart owns none before thee, for my, thy rich grace I thirst. This knowing, if I love thee, thou must have loved me first. And so the teaching about election is meant for your comfort. It's meant when you struggle and you wonder when you've fallen into sin, if God loves me, you think, now he loved me before I was even born. His love predates my love. His his love is the reason I love him at all. And you cannot shake that love that is given you from eternity. I love the phrase in Psalm 103, from everlasting to everlasting is your steadfast love. Well, we're called out of darkness into light. And here's the major part of that light. I'm called into union with Jesus Christ. You see here that we were separated from Christ. We were alienated from the life of God. But then notice he called us in Romans, you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ 
Or in 1 Corinthians 1, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And you're familiar perhaps with the word koinonia. That means communion or participation or union. And when you see all through uh, the New Testament letters, the, the, the motif in Christ or in him, like a hundred times it's there. And you could draw a line from 1 Corinthians 9, you're called into fellowship with Christ, a hundred lines out to all of these statements. Or those that say you're with Christ, with you've been raised with him. All of these point to the fact that you are called into union with Christ and it means countless riches that are yours because you are joined now to Christ. So being called out of darkness into his marvelous light means in centrally you're called out of darkness into union with Christ. That's the light in which you dwell. United to him and all that he brings through his salvation. That is why Ephesians 1 can say right here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, notice, in Christ, as you are joined to Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has dumped the whole kitchen sink of spiritual blessing into your lap because you have Christ. You have all in him. And it's beautifully put in Ephesians 2, and this is just a summary of it, but our condition, we were dead in trespasses and sins in which we once walked. That means we were absolutely fixed. We were completely turned against God. We despise God. We would not have God. That's what it means to be dead in trespasses and sins. But as we were in that state of sinfulness, He made us alive together with Christ. Notice, with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God because you were dead and you could do nothing to save yourself, but he made you alive while you were dead. But it was in union with Christ. This is another description of being called out of darkness into light. You were dead and you were made alive dramatic uh, imagery for our salvation. And what's the final result of our union with Christ? We are his workmanship. We're art pieces. We're sculptures. We're paintings. Uh, We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. There's another phrase for being called out of darkness. You were called out and created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, we tend to think of good works as like Cub Scout helping an old man like me across the street, right? That's, that's a good work. Good works are simply, it's simply another word for active love. Love that is not in word only, but it is in deed. Love that truly uh, gives itself away to other people. In other words, you have been created in Christ Jesus to love others, for love. And as 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. In love, we count one another as more important than ourselves. 
And he says this, is, this was prepared beforehand. That means you were predestined for love. You were predestined to be lovers of people in radical ways, in new ways, after the pattern of Christ who laid down his life for us. This is your call. And that's why he can say, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Literally, at me, it says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. Not just that you are new creation, but you're part of new creation. You're part of the new creation now. You're part of the new world that's broken into this world. You belong to that. And you will be owners of that new world one day. But it has broken in and captured us. We are part of that new creation. We have new connections and allegiances, new belonging. So this is something of what it means. We've been called out of darkness into light. Now, more briefly, because perhaps we're a little more familiar with these last two, those he called, this has to do with his, our new situation or our, our new life, our, the new world in which we live, and now a new relationship to God. And two parts of it, he justifies those who trust in mercy alone. Paul says in Romans 4, now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, right? You don't jump for joy when you get paid. Thank you, fall down and say, oh, I can't believe you paid me. No, we, that, that's not the case, right? And to the one, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, now, don't miss what he says. The one who believes in him who justifies the ungodly. That means that we have some notion of the fact, or I have some notion of the fact, that I am ungodly. I am not like God in his love by nature. I do not love my enemies. I do not lie, lay myself down for those who oppose me. I do not have that kind of love native in my heart. I'm ungodly. And I need to come to a God who can declare me not guilty, even though I am clearly guilty and worthy of his condemnation and judgment. Does that, does that describe your life? That you've come to the conclusion I am ungodly before him. I am unlike God. I have sinned greatly in his presence. I deserve nothing but judgment. I come to you in that condition to a God who will declare me, me, sinner, that you will declare me not guilty. We don't like that by nature. And Jesus, we won't read the whole, the, the, the parable, but he gives this parable of the Pharisee thanking God that he's not like other people, including this tax gatherer. And, and he's running before God, all of his accomplishments and all the things that he's avoided. And Jesus is speaking to this, speaking this to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. 
And all the Pharisees are sitting there saying, yeah, 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 you, you're the man, you are the man. Look, uh, this guy has going to make it. He's the one. And then he says, there's a tax gatherer over here. And all he's saying is, have mercy on me, the sinner. And of course, all the Pharisees listening are thinking, oh, dude, you hadn't got a chance. You're not even close. Our guy's up there. Our guy, our guy has done some stuff. He, he, he has impressed God. He's going to be with God and you're not because you brought nothing to the table. All you can do is talk about how bad you are. Not a chance. And then, of course, Jesus turns the table and he says, Pharisee did not walk away. Not guilty. It's the tax gatherer that walked away justified, not guilty. Because he cried out for mercy. Our first question in membership is really derived from Luke 18. Do you see yourself as a sinner justly deserving God's displeasure without hope saving his sovereign mercy? So we all basically come as the tax gatherer. We all basically come and say, Lord, have mercy upon me, the sinner. You see, he was caught in hypocritical hyperbole. He was a hypocrite parading all of his accomplishments when he needed to be declaring to Jesus his sin. The fact of his pride, the fact that he looked down his nose at other people, his selfishness, his bitter criticisms of others. He needed to be confessing his sin and asking for mercy. A pastor friend of mine talking about this parable said, you know, there was a a prison down the road. He said, those people in prison are no different from us in needing the grace of God. And there was actually a person who stood up in the worship service and said, oh, no, we're not like them. We're not like those people down there. If that becomes your attitude and you think I have access to God on a different basis than the worst people in society. If you think that you approach God in any different way than the worst people in society, then you're a Pharisee. And you don't see you need the mercy of God as desperately as any human being. And you and I must cry out. And that's one of the most freeing things, the freeing thing of your life, that you could cry out for mercy. And he gives us, as I say here, and we'll end with this, standing in Christ's own righteousness. Notice, he made him to be sin, who know no sin. And it's a graphic way to say he took, so took our sin upon himself and was punished for it. It's as though he became sin. He became sin for us, even though he knew no sin so that there it is in him, we could become the righteousness of God joined to Christ. We come before God and we display not in ourselves, but because of our association with Christ, We display 
are clothed in, guarded by the righteousness of God. And Paul makes it very clear in Philippians 3, the working of this. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, growing up, I... I think I've told some of you this story, but growing up, I, I, I thought that when you got to heaven, God was going to weigh your life, good and bad, and if you had enough good, you'd get to go to heaven, but if not, you didn't make it. But I was a pretty thoughtful little kid, and I thought, there's no way you can know how God's going to do this. You don't know how much your good counts, how much your bad counts. You don't know what the curve is, you know, who gets it, how many get in. You don't know all that. So I, I just knew nobody knows until you get there. Nobody will know anything until you stand before God. And then you'll find out whether you go to heaven or not. That's what I lived with. That's why I said the Lord's Prayer every night before I went to sleep. Just in case that little thing might get me over the edge. <laughs> and I would go to heaven. Well, one day the teacher uh, asked us, if you could be anybody in the history of the world, who would you be? I knew when she said it what I was going to say, and I knew people would think I was crazy, but I was going to tell the truth. So people picked Abraham Lincoln or this person or that person. They get around to me, Darwin, what would you be? I said, I would be the thief on the cross. Honey, why would you say that? You know, it's just... Take him to the counselor down the hall. What in the world? I said, because Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I, he's the only man that knew he was going to heaven. I wanted to be that man. That's how badly I wanted to go to heaven, but knew I wouldn't know until I got there. Until, until I found out that Jesus would die for my sins and take them away and his righteousness would clothe me. I pictured it this way in my conversion that I had set my good works in front of God hoping that they would do the job and God sweeps them off the table completely and then he sets the righteousness of Jesus on the table and he says, Will you trust in this? I was overjoyed. I couldn't believe it. You mean it doesn't depend on my works at all? I could rest in what Jesus has done, his good works. I could hold them up and they could clothe me and protect me. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I could know that I'm going to heaven. Because of what Jesus had done. Well, we're going to sing. We won't read it beforehand. But we're going to sing, Come You Sinners, Poor and Wretched. It's a wonderful invitation hymn. We're not going to invite you down front. But we are inviting you to come to Jesus. Come to Christ. And it underscores just how broken, how sinful we are. 
and just how completely Jesus works and takes all of our sin away.